0: Clubhouse. this is Paul
1: this is Caroline
0: and welcome back to another episode of our ongoing coverage of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel this is for season five episode four entitled Susan
1: Written and directed uh, this episode was Amy Sherman Palladino. So we're back in action with Palladinos, right?
0: I I don't think that they would leave a musical production.
1: Mm, To anyone else, really. Yeah, Yeah, it'd, it'd be
0: one of those two.
1: Okay, so this is a very divisive thing that our Palladinos do when they are specifically in a finale season of a show. They will take up a great deal Of an episode with a musical. And now this happened in a year in the life, and boy, did it piss a lot of people off. There's this deep need to get everything that we want for the characters to happen in such a short period of time that people get so frustrated when they feel like the writers are wasting any time. Now, I'm gonna say, I love the Stars Hollow musical. I know I'm in the minority about that. I think it's hilarious. And I think that it matters to the actual show because they tell all these little funny little history things that are silly and whatever. But that's been a part of the show consistently, whether they're doing the diorama, whether they're doing some sort of firelight festival. like They are consistently talking about the traditions of the town and and their history. So that makes sense there.
0: Like Taylor's Museum?
1: Yeah, that's the diorama. I love Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's what that little boy says. So um, so my question to you is, does this Industrial Expo musical number work for you? And do you think that, like I said, there's all this consistency over here for where the Stars Hollow musical played in. What do you think over here happening on Maisel to have like this entire musical that suddenly Mage is a part of?
0: I know what you're saying about audience perception of the musical bits. People really enjoy the writing when it comes to the snappy dialogue and the aspirational coolness in in these fast-paced, witty conversations that people hope that they could have for themselves. And I wonder if the musical bits are more or less just tolerated by the audience rather than loved.
1: No, I'm going to pause you there for just a moment and say, now there is a whole market for people who are doing musicals in different ways now. Like we like have Tick, Tick, Boom, or we have Schmigadoon. There is an audience who wants to see different types of musicals done in different ways. The main thing for me when it comes to especially Amy is that she is a dancer by her background. So whenever I see these I actually pay a lot of attention to the dancing because yes it was a musical but in this one they did like a tap dance routine, they do like ballet routines. There's like like there's a lot of different types of dance that's going on that I feel like that's what's being celebrated a whole lot. But then musical theater in general,
0: but they have fun with it. That's what I like about it. I know that what you've said about the audience at large, maybe having less patience than us for these musical bits. But when I see them, I think they're very funny. And and I know that there's, I think there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek musical performance jokes happening that are maybe flying over my head, but I think I'm catching the gist of it, you know, like... The people doing in, inane-looking dances, the, the boy with the cartwheels going by, but <laughs> but saying key bits of dialogue as he as he rolls by. Right, right. Um, I I, th- I enjoy that stuff. I, I didn't mind the little pause in this episode. I did notice that uh, the internet itself ha- did not rate this episode particularly high.
1: Right now, I would say this is a Susie centric episode although there's things that happen with midge and the gordon ford show and everything we're going to talk about with that but but really if there's three main points there's this entire mob agreement that she has going on with frank and nikki there is this what appears to be love life history with hetty and then there's also this midge situation with gordon ford that i think it's gigantic but those are the three main things and two of them are absolutely susie related
0: well, then let's knock out the easiest one, the low-hanging fruit in this episode, the misadventure of the Wisemans uh, at the play, Abe getting a big head about his, his job as a theater critic. You couldn't possibly understand <laughs> the things that I understand when I see a play because you're not a critic and I am. It's my job.
1: So this was especially, I think, interesting to you and I because this is what we do as well. We analyze and pick apart artistic pieces. We hope we're getting it right when we're giving our assessment of the situation. Now, boy, this is a rough one because he went so esoteric with his analysis of what was going on here. (laughs) What did you think about this concept that it was really just about a boy and a dog?
0: I was one of those kids in high school that when the conversation in English turned to symbolism in literature, Mm -hmm. I just didn't get it.
1: And I think that's so funny because that's like my absolute favorite part of reading a book is trying to figure out what are things supposed to symbolize.
0: I thought that the teacher was making it up. (laughs) And uh, <laughs> oh. reading into things that weren't there. Okay. You know, to an extent, some of that is provable both directions, where just as in the case of this episode where Rose goes and asks the playwright, what did you mean? Mm-hmm. And he was like, meat and potatoes, boy and his dog, that's all. Right. There are authors that have said that is What you read is what I meant. And if you read something into that, that was subconscious, but I didn't put it in. The subtext was me in my storytelling technique, but it wasn't <laughs> an overt thing that I was trying to do. And so that's where I struggle with symbolism is, ah, man, I, I really, I do want the author's intent, but I, I don't want to make shit up. And, and plus, it, a lot of it just flies over my head. So I'm I'm a rose. I'm a rose.
1: (laughs) It's a boy and the dog. As a rose, though, I will challenge you to ask you, like, would you have had the guts to go over and ask the playwright to please join the dinner party? Just set the record straight.
0: Well, okay. there's two answers to that question. There's as a rose, maybe not, but as that rose that has had Mr. Big Brain (laughs) lord his intelligence over me for the entire duration of our existence together, and then go in front of other people and do the same thing that he does at our own dinner table, belittling my perspective. And the answer's just right over there.
1: You think you'd have the guts to go ask?
0: Yeah, I think so. After, After... you know 25 30 years of marriage or whatever they've had and and so long of him being mr professor bell labs whatever yeah yeah i think so
1: i mean i know i would go ask oh I'm you not.
0: wouldn't even need the 25 30 years
1: i would absolutely That'd been go. like
0: night number one together on first date
1: I, well, because why not just get the right answer out of the whole situation? I would definitely want to know. I can say it's extremely satisfying to get an opportunity to talk to the writer who actually created this or that you're enjoying and watching. I, I think one of the best things that happened most recently here at Pod Clubhouse was we got a chance to talk to the showrunner for your honor Joey Heartstone and he was fantastic because he told us so much little you know little parts that of what it meant and what the the intent was and what the writers room was like and that's how they reached this decision so then later when we would have you know like like fans of the show our show listening and then coming back and being like you got that all wrong we could be like no <laughs> check it out we got we talked to joey and he said we are right on the money it is very validating when someone actually confirms you know what you were thinking but boy there were times when i would ask something i'd be like is that it and he'd be like man i wish we had done it like that Mm -hmm. but we really just he happened to be wearing a black shirt or something like that you know and it was like wow okay so you're right there i mean i think all of us You know, we bring ourselves to the table, right? When we're watching something. Yeah. And uh, and that includes all of our own experiences. So, of course, we're going to see things differently. What did you think about the actual, the silent treatment portion, but then the apology, the very silent apology?
0: I don't know that Abe has had a lot of practice sincerely apologizing. And Rose, I handed to her. The silent treatment was probably the most noble approach to the situation. She'd been proven right. It was magnanimous of her not to <laughs> not to do anything else at that point. But the fact that she was—I wonder what she was doing as she was sitting there, awake in her own little Betty. There, you know, mm-hmm. was she waiting for an apology? Was she reveling in her rightness? Was she counting the moments that 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 she wished she had done this before?
1: To me, I don't. I don't think she was reveling in her rightness as much as waiting for him to say, "You're right, I was wrong," Mm. which is different than being. So it's not a
0: silent treatment. It's it's waiting.
1: Yeah, she's waiting, and he's not talking. He's not saying it. I mean, it's, it's this huge pregnant pause. Like she proved herself correct, and he doesn't say that he doesn't say you're right I'm sorry I I went off on a tangent or whatever no he doesn't and he never does that's the thing is this enough to go get the rose petals used rose petals I'd like to point out <laughs> used rose petals he brings in and puts her on the bed and then thinks about it and realizes like that's not enough but he still can't bring himself to actually say anything He he does literally throw himself on her mercy by putting himself across her lap but what was this whole thing? And was it acceptable? Is this is that an I actual mean, apology?
0: I think it's a sincere apology. I think so. But I'm a man. I'm not a, a woman. This is a man-woman thing, I think.
1: Well, it's, I think it's just a person thing, in all honesty. Like it? I think so. Because I mean, don't you want to be told if someone if I do something wrong or if one of the kids do something wrong, don't you want us to say we're sorry? to you. I mean, mm-hmm. so then that's a that's not a man woman thing. She wants him to say he's sorry for what for what he put her through at dinner and embarrassing her and having to push it to the point of dragging over the writer because she said there's not even a possibility that a different interpretation could be right. He could have said, "Sure, there's multiple, you know, interpretations." No, he doubled down. He doubled down. So then when the writer comes over and says like, "No, this is what I meant." How 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 do you just like go back to dinner and not say you were right? Like, you know, bring some closure to the conversation.
0: Yeah, it might've been better for him if he had said something right away.
1: Uh, it would have definitely been better. For him <laughs> if he said something right away. Was that laying over her lap situation familiar?
0: Oh yeah. 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 He's got his pride, you know, and saying you were right. I was wrong. Mm, tough for him. Probably. I mean, it's not that he hasn't done things like that. I mean, he he followed her to to Paris, right? Absolutely.
1: He's he's got some gestures in him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's maybe that's their relationship is is she can live with gestures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe few people can. I mean, I don't. I don't know if we're going to continue on some amount of conversation about this, or if that matter is like completely done and over with.
0: I think there's. A, I know there's we're, a lesson he learned in this.
1: Well, and what I think though, back to back episodes, I'm seeing some patterns here that I'm curious what what's going to be maybe the third one because typically these come in threes right so we have the measles absolutely separated and then it takes this outside situation for for Shirley to come and they and like you said you felt they reconciled like in the last episode and that it's over like they're back together again and then in this one for him to kind of come and like throw herself throw himself on her mercy like that and everything like I it feels like someone else is going to throw themselves on someone's mercy There should be that because we're doing, we're like plotting, you know, we're showing it. So who else is going to need to do this? I don't know, but I think we're seeing something.
0: That's a good observation. The emergence of Joel all of a sudden at the industrial later on, catching wind of the situation with the mobsters and Susie
1: Okay, so Susie. So like I said, this whole episode really seems to be about her, of course. I mean, Susan is a name that she has dismissed that it's not her name because it was always a little weird in earlier seasons. Midge definitely said something like, your mother named you Susie? Like, not Susan, but like Susie. So there was something about that, but clearly she went by Susan for some period of time. Maybe Susan's dead to her. Yeah. Susan's dead, but, but certainly there is something here going on. Would you like to start with the mobsters? Would you like to start with the Gordon Ford situation, or would you like to start with Hetty?
0: The the mobster situation is evolving. Getting involved with with people in that line of work is never a great thing. Just watch any amount of the Sopranos, and you'll see if you if you dip into their world, it's hard to get back out. Maybe even impossible. And that is the lesson that Susie is getting educated in in this episode. I hadn't. I mean, the 30% of everything you make and everything she makes and all that. And That's there's,
1: unbelievable.
0: There's no way out of that. What are you going to do?
1: She's got to get out from under this situation. I mean, this is the first time I feel like we've seen them with this favor business, They've asked smaller favors, of course, like, I mean, obviously working out of the office and stuff like that. Those were all parts of it. But asking Midge to leave another, you know, leave another job to come do something for them like this. This is the first time we're dealing with that. Do we expect that this continues throughout this season where there's going to be favor after favor after favor, where eventually she's going to have to be like this is the last one or here's X amount of money now go away or something. Or did they become like part of her posse? Like kind of held like shy Baldwin and um, Sterling K Brown's character's name. But you remember how they had, he had like a group with him, you know, and it wasn't always just like his people, like Sterling K Brown had his people, you know, like Susie would have had her people.
0: Well, in the last podcast, I predicted that the mobsters would function as perhaps sort of fixers for Susie. And now I have trouble reconciling that prediction with this new situation unless Susie can convince them that there's more profit in it for all of them if they work together for her business rather than this current
1: Just extorting her. Yeah, quid
0: pro quo. (laughs) Well, when you think about it,
1: it's actually kind of interesting that they chose for the mob to get involved in an entertainment type of way, that they would be like producing a musical. They didn't have to go that direction, but by doing that, it makes Susie and Midge and the mobsters cross paths, Mm -hmm. makes them be able to have some common ground creates a possibility, a potential here of them being able to work together more up and up, less like blackmail.
0: (laughs) If you're not completely acquainted with the idea that the mob is heavily involved with New York trash, then learn that. That is a thing. That is a definite (laughs) real thing.
1: Well, let's talk about it a little bit. So Midge is going to have to go over and do this industrial expo show in order for some amount of payment back. But that was never clear. I felt like I felt like Susie was being a bad manager in that situation because they kind of danced around this concept of reciprocity. Yeah. Like we're, we're good, but it was not spelled out. No. Like once she does these two shows on these two days at these two times, then this this and this are forgiven you know like over here that was never spelled out to me but i did think they reneged way too hard at the end when they were like this wasn't anything you don't get any credit at all like i was like oh guys that wasn't very fair
0: None of these things are in, on, in writing. Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Turns out when you work with con men, you might get conned once in a while.
0: <laughs> might get that way, yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: my Lord. So I know that there were a couple of references that you enjoyed about the, the mob portion.
0: Yeah, when Joel was talking with... Susie, and, and he mentions it, was, it looked like the Appalachian meeting, part two, or part two of the Appalachian meeting. That's referring to something that would have been pretty recent history for them and their part of the world. That was a meeting held by Vito Genovese, who at the time was head of one of the five crime families that ran New York City. And it was meant to be kind of an alignment of members of what. It was called The Commission, which was how the mob kept things straight. He had just killed a couple of his rivals, and so he wanted to rein in any other bad feelings, I guess. And instead, it turned into a gigantic police raid where a bunch of mobsters were taken to prison, but it was got a lot of press then this being in 1961 this would have been only 4 years removed in the same state so this would have been pretty fresh stuff and topical
1: that's their like street cred like they're all real deal yeah like, we can talk about that right so um this whole portion i mean i thought it was pretty funny to have tess in this musical number as this Sultry trash queen, whatever. I, I totally do you remember from um the fraggles? Remember, there was like the trash heap, the trash heap, yeah. <laughs> that looked like the trash, it heap. very
0: much did look like and, the trash heap. And if
1: the trash heap had like a daughter, Tess could definitely be her.
0: Wasn't there a wasn't Elmo in Grouchland? Wasn't there a oh,
1: there probably a was trash queen? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there in was. Grouchland. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure there was. How could there not be in Grouchland? Okay. <laughs> the- so, I mean, I don't know. I I didn't hate this musical. I thought the way that Midge acted in the second portion of it all. It was a little much, really. It was a little much. It didn't actually make any real sense that she would have been throwing that much of a temper tantrum to be up there and just like flopping herself around or yelling out on stage. like It's hot in here or whatever. Like, what the heck? I mean, she is a performer, like a, a professional performer in a way that's like, why would you embarrass yourself more than you already are by acting rudely like this you know And this has
0: nothing to do with what she's upset about
1: right and so it it, it's just silly i i definitely think this is one of those episodes that people are going to point to midge being like selfish, immature, all the bad words that people think about her. This is the type of episode where you're like, come on, Midge, come on, girl. Like, you got to do better than this. Like, you're hustling, you know, and that I don't, they never showed us the money amount that was on that little piece of paper. But come on, man, like, get the job done. You, She's better than this, you know, acting like that. All right. So let's talk about what it is that she's so angry about because this 100% comes down to Susie because she's the one who made the agreement to have... Midge become a writer on The Gordon Ford Show. If we all remember, Midge wanted to say no to the job. But Susie yells sidebar and takes her to the side and tells her she's got to take the job. Now, what has this situation become?
0: Nobody working at the show can be on the show. Gordon's own rule, he enforces it himself. He's up to its enforcement. And as we learn, even if he wanted To make an exception for Midge, at this stage, he'd be pissing off half of his writer's room who've already been in line for that
1: spot. And it sounds like a lot of other employees who also have some talents that could have been on the show. But here's my question, Mark. Gordon is the one who actually offers the writing job, and he knows full well that the intent of Susie and of Midge is to be on the show. So was this on purpose? Did he purposely hire Midge to create this problem where sorry now that you've ever worked for me you can't ever be on the show
0: that's an interesting proposition and when you say that it makes me think of the kind of situation where you want to limit your own competition so you bring your enemies closer
1: i like that okay you
0: know so he he knows that his writers might be funnier than him So rather than give them any of their due possible national exposure, he hamstrings them by putting them on his staff.
1: So I agree with what you just said. My question is, did he purposely hamstring Midge, knowing that Susie has been relentless? She's shown up multiple places. She's been bothering Mike Carr. And now she's showing up at the Burlesque Club and and going right up to him there. Did he want that to stop? And the way to stop that is now... By doing this, she can never be booked on the show.
0: I'm getting a developing sense of Gordon's character. And is he capable of that kind of deviousness or is it just ruthlessness? And I don't know about the deviousness, but I do think the ruthlessness, yes.
1: So you think he was trying to make it so that i mean but what i don't that's confusing to me because Mitch could still go on a competing show or whatever but you're just saying so that no one just like swoops up and takes his hosting position maybe <laughs> well this is the this is the this is the metaphor of the play is it just about gordon just happened to give her a job is it just about a dog and a boy or was there a way more complicated layered situation where he knew full well that he had this role that she would never be able to be on the show, and that Susie was never going to give up booking her on the show, and had been bothering his talent agent, and so now he can cut her off at the knees. So is it a boy and a dog, or Jesus over here? <laughs> Isn't that what <laughs> what, they right. used, what Abe was trying to say?
0: Right, latent homosexuality, and uh, there you go, some sort of Jesus and
1: Jesus portions. Yes. So I don't know which is it. Can it be a little bit of both? I think it's got to be one or the other. Well, you can noodle on it, okay, if you want to get back to me later. I, of course, am going full double down on it's his rule. It's his singular personal rule. And he's already had to enforce it with X amount of people. So he knows exactly what he's doing by putting her on staff. And he has now basically blacklisted her for, for the show in perpetuity. That's not something you do on accident. And then the fact that Midge doesn't even want to take the job and Susie forces her hand means this has now created a gigantic potential wasp's nest for these two women to deal with.
0: And this is why Susie arrives at 30 Rock to sort this out, because she knows that Midge is upset about it. and She goes straight to them to try to circumvent the situation.
1: She does. However. Hey, hey no, Mike Carr is willing to have lunch with her.
0: Like I mentioned last episode, she's becoming a legitimate talent agent. As, as someone that needs to book talent and and has same-day needs at some point, you need to be friendly with the local management.
1: So, I mean, man, this situation is a mess. I really feel for everybody. I mean, because this was done in bad faith. Gordon knew the deal he was making, and Susie and Midge did not know the deal they were making. And that sucks. I mean, I, I feel terrible for them because... They never would have guessed in a thousand years that this is how this would go down. They're learning an expensive and potentially career altering lesson here. But well, when you come dang. to work the
0: first day and you don't actually sign any paperwork or anything like that. I no, mean, I,
1: yeah, it's hard to believe that. Like, how is she getting paychecks and stuff? <laughs> because they don't even seem to know she works there. But yeah, I don't know. So this was a big monkey wrench that obviously Midge and Susie are going to have to deal with interpersonally about like, Hey, as my manager, you should have asked more questions or known that the industry well enough to know that Gordon Ford has a rule on his show and so I should never be on his staff or whatever. like like there's parts to this where you get really, really mad. I don't know what Susie could yell at Midge. There's really nothing there because Midge said I don't want to do it. I don't want to be on the writing staff. So I don't know how Susie's going to throw anything back at Midge except for just defending herself and saying reasonable people don't have these rules on their show. So I just assumed he wouldn't have such a rule. But here we are. here we are. Here we are. So that's just left out there dangling, you know, of like, what are we going to do? What could possibly happen? We don't know. But we have this other little fly in the ointment here, Hetty, that is Gordon Ford's wife and is clearly a lesbian and has just been hanging out, I guess, in Ford land for the last 15 years, having disappeared on Susie, it turns out. Who knew that Gordon Ford was like sloppy seconds for, for suits.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of backstory there that they don't tell because they're just picking up on a conversation that they should have had years ago. And of course, if if you know, you might have been in a similar situation in a life, you don't recap for possible listeners what the details are.
1: Right. You usually, already know them. Usually it's like you know what you did.
0: Exactly. And that's <laughs> that's what they're doing here. But we start to get little bits and pieces. That suggests to me that they crossed paths in their younger life, college Mm age-ish, and Susie is Susie, meaning that she might not have attracted a lot of attention from the people that she wanted to get attention from for one reason or another, because she's kind of surly, other factors too. But Hetty comes along and gives her that attention. All of a sudden, Susie is like head over heels with this person that is treating her like she's special. Then all of a sudden Hetty just disappears, just ghosts her in nineteen what would that be? Nineteen forties ghosting? What would that be? Like you just
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> don't call them back or something. I don't I don't even know what that would be. But still. You just,
1: don't you don't read their telegram. Right. You just like rip it up and throw it right. away.
0: Exactly. But that's the best I can figure out. And it kind of informs about Susie's treatment of Joel over the seasons. Okay. Like, like all that we know is that Susie knows that Joel betrayed Midge, cheated on her. And although Joel and Susie have interacted from time to time, it's always been cold. It's never been warm. It's always been like a necessity type situation. Right. Where Susie feels cornered and can't get out of talking to Joel. And I think that comes from this feeling of I don't want to talk to a cheater if I don't have to.
1: So then are you you're thinking Hetty cheated on her? Yeah. Okay, I see. That was that was a long way to get there, but I see what you're doing there. Okay, I get you. I get you. So, I mean, we are already established that Susie is a lesbian. I'm not exactly sure why we need to meet an old flame and exactly why this is going to affect her life now. I hope that Hetty has money and is, like, willing to throw into, like, Susie Meyerson and sons and whatnot (laughs) i hope maybe that's what she's going to be used for because i can't really wrap my brain around why Hetty would be an important portion to bring up because it's not a sexuality reveal we had that a long time ago
0: but susie might need a favor convincing gordon Ah, to change
1: his mind i see where you're going with that that's a very good call very good call how is that going to work because susie's not recognizing that in the moment at all No. She's definitely got a lot of baggage to deal with.
0: (laughs) And, you know, like very true to Susie's character, she does not observe social niceties, courtesies, politeness, none of that. And where a lot of people would at least say, sure, give me a call, but then never return the call or whatever. Susie just does her best to storm off until Hetty gets physically in her way and won't let her go. So emotions are running too high for her to have that kind of rational connect. Like, wait a second. That's true. There's possible leverage here from a person that might feel like, or should, in my estimation, feel like she owes me one.
1: Okay. I I like all those things. I mean, we certainly have brought up the concept of a favor in this episode and reciprocity. There you go. And we've certainly had patterns of people asking for forgiveness and having to make a grand gesture, right? Yeah. These have been our last two episodes with the Mazels and the Weissmans both had to do some grand gesture moment feel. So I can see that. I also, I think that they did a good job already establishing back with the shy Baldwin storyline that homosexuality is something that absolutely has to be kept private. So this idea of like yelling on the sidewalk and everything, I mean, Hetty can't have this kind of stuff. And Frankly, now someone on the outside knows that Gordon Ford is married to somebody who is a lesbian. I mean, it could be a favor. It could also be straight up blackmail mm. because there's definitely a push that Hetty is a public figure because she is Gordon Ford's wife and he is a celebrity. So she's, you know, somewhere in the same hemisphere, I guess, as as old uh, Shy Baldwin in terms of like, you can't be out there public at all. So will it be a favor? Or will it be blackmail?
0: Susie is getting it kind of exposed to the uh, twisting your arm aspect of this business. It may start as a favor, but wind up as blackmail. How about
1: that? Okay. Okay. I th- I like that because I think, like, the second that Hetty gets some pushback from Gordon, if she comes back and is like, oh, I don't think I can do it, it'd be like, hmm, I, like, <laughs> I think you can.
0: Not say love. I think you
1: can. So. Let's see what happens. I mean, this was a very unexpected, you know, situation to, to be meeting her. I wasn't really sure why they had her kind of like run back in and have this like argument with Mike about the booking, because really, at the end of the day, this is really about Gordon. But Mike is going to have to be the guy who fixes this. So, again, expanding Mike's role, again, we talked about that at the beginning of this season, that I thought being Rachel's real-life husband, they were going to keep expanding his role so that he can come to the fan fest and people <laughs> can pay for his autograph. So I think they're going to keep doing that. That's just smart, right? To right. keep, like, rolling him back in. Alright, did we miss anything? I felt like one thing that we have to talk about for just a hot second is Zelda and Janusz and them um, getting engaged. is super adorable. When she's like, I'll clean up the rose petals afterwards. Do you want anything like to eat or whatever? And she's trying to convince convinced them that and Janusz's baking of this alcohol cake. (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure exactly what was supposed to happen there. Like I thought she was going to miss something. Like Midge was going to miss something she had to get to. And I thought that the, the Wiseman's were going to miss their play because they'd been talking about the play. None of that. None of that happened. So what's up with the alcoholic cake and the knocked out kids.
0: Comedically fell asleep on their plates, (laughs) but that's about it.
1: It was very silly and I enjoyed it. And Janusz is an adorable add to the whole group. Again, Gilmore Girls Watchers, you're in the life. This is Berta and the Berta's extended family. This very is much, the same yeah. storyline that I feel like we're we're just remolding a little bit. I'm fine with it. I like Janusz. I think he's funny. I'm curious what that means for Zelda. Does that mean that her and Janusz go move out and like have their own house somewhere? Or does Janus just move in to Zelda's bedroom? I'm not sure, but it, that should be interesting to see how that might. I bet he folds in. I bet he folds in too. Yeah. Because we need more people in the house, right? We need like some extra craziness to keep the household vibrant.
0: So with these things happening this episode, what do you predict might happen next week on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel?
1: I got to think that all of our discussion having to do with Hetty and Gordon and Midge and Susie is, and now her, her, her sad experience with the mob dealings, I think that she is going to suddenly have a very strong spine with the Fords. <laughs> I think Susie is, is going to find her footing and say, you know what? I am done being pushed around by other people and I'm going to do some pushing myself. And I predict that that's going to happen. And perhaps, however she chooses to deal with this, could end up being the source of the rift that we know is coming between Susie and Midge.
0: Did you have any uh, anything to read into Sophie Lennon's brief appearance this episode? I think- you know, she's fixed her career. She's got a TV show. Mm-hmm. I think it's just more like fans like to see Jane Lynch in small doses on this show. Well,
1: and we also said we had to have like the parade of guest stars because it's yeah. the final season. So now. we have to see everybody and say goodbye to everybody on yeah. their way out and kind of know where they're landed at this point. And so we know she has this show. I do think that, I mean, it obviously puts Gordon in even more compromised situation because she's he's obviously very friendly with Sophie, which... Puts him at odds with the Midge-Susie side of things. Right. It's not, obviously, as bad as it was. You know, they're not, like... Actively warring, but at the same time, anyone who's gonna do be like, oh, so often and give big hugs and stuff. You're a sight for sore eyes. Probably not your best friend if you're Midge and Susie, right? So problematic. I can see that happening.
0: Well, we'll find out more next week.
1: Looking forward to it. This is Caroline.
0: And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A five-star rating will help other people find the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening.